Any worshipers in the building? Come on. God, there's nobody like you. Oh, come on. All the real worshipers who don't need a worship team. You don't need a band. You know how to get a breakthrough on a Tuesday all by yourself. Come on, God. We magnify your name in the room. God, we lift you up. We lift you up. If we didn't have 10,000 tongues, we couldn't praise you enough. You've been good to us. You've been gracious. You've been kind. God, we ask you to rest in the room. Come on. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. A lot of you quiet in the place, okay? Uh, I'm black, if you have not noticed. Hello. <laughs> Which means I grew up preaching at a black church, okay? Uh, and there is no confusion or ambiguity when you are at a black church, whether or not you're doing a good job or a bad job. Everybody say bad job. If you're doing a bad job, okay? If you're at a black church and you're doing a bad job, all the church mamas sit in this section right over here, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they wear a little doily cap on their head, and if you're doing a bad job, everybody say bad job. If you're doing a bad job, woo, that means your jokes ain't funny. That means you, you didn't pray enough before you got up on stage. That means uh, your sermon is not anointed. That means you are, your prophetic unction is off. I mean, you're doing a bad job. Uh, for, for whatever reason, like a church mama ain't never been to seminary, but she know when she hear heresy, you know what I'm saying? Like a church mama know you took that text out of context, you know, like that's bad hermeneutics. It's like, church mama, where did you learn all of these fancy words? But if you're at a black church and you're doing a bad job, one of the church mamas will stand up in the middle of your sermon and say, help them, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Which, at that point, you're not even mad, you know what I'm saying, Byron? You're not even mad. You're, you're agreeing with the church mama. You're like, yes, Holy Ghost, help me right now. You know what I'm saying? Holy Ghost, give me a new sermon. Teach me how to sing. Like, teleport me out of here. Like, do something, you know? However, you could be at that same church. And if you're doing a good job, that means you're stepping on toes, but people still want you to step on their toes. Like, that means that your prophetic nose is discerning the exact thing that that room needs to hear. That means that you're opening up the scriptures because man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And people feel like they are having a feast in church. You can be at that same church and that same church mama that would have clowned you a week ago will begin to stand up and look at you like, something smells bad will begin to shout things at you like boy you better preach let's go say it again for the folks in the back and my favorite thing that a church mama will say is take your time preacher take your time so if I needed to tell you this we are all black today okay boo boo you black you black you black so when I say let's give God a shot of praise that means that we all stand up up on our feet. We all throw our hands in the air and we all declare, God, there's nobody like you. We magnify you. We don't give God golf claps. We open up our mouth and we say to God, God, if it had not been for your grace and for your mercy, I don't know where I'd be. So God, we magnify your name in this place and we invite you to do what only you can do, we ask that you would throw your weight around in the place. God, we ask that your kabod, that your weight would rest in the room. That God, that shackles would come free. That Lord God, anyone who feels captive or bound, that they would be set free tonight. God, we ask that you would do the extraordinary. In the only name that has power, we pray. That's the name of Jesus. And we all said together, amen. Oh, come on, we said with a voice of triumph, amen, 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 amen. Uh, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, so I'm from up north. Uh, I repented from snow about seven years ago. Uh, I saw the light, and I moved to the south, okay? S-O-U-F, okay? I moved to the south, and uh, I moved to North Carolina, uh, I affectionately call North Carolina, North Kakalaki, you know, uh, and there were a bunch of culture, uh, you know, just like 
moments where I went, okay, this is not how we do things up north. First of all, strangers down south, S-O-U-F, down south, strangers just talk to you, okay? It don't matter if you're at the grocery store, standing on the street, like, if you don't have to know nobody, strangers will run up on you and begin to say nice things to you, like, oh, I hope you have a blessed day, like, everyone sounds like Joel Osteen, you know, like, I, I love moving to the south. I, I became friendly. It took me about three months, you know what I'm saying? But I became friendly. And uh, when it snows, everything gets shut down. Oh, it's like heaven. I, I remember the first time, you know, it, it was three inches of snow, okay? three. In, in, in Boston, we would blow on it, and it would move away. But in North Kakalaki, okay, kids didn't go to school for two months, okay, because of the three inches of snow. I watched Netflix for about a whole season of my life just because of three inches of snow. I, I was like, I have died and gone to glory, okay? This is amazing. The South is awesome. And, 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 but, but I gained about 25 pounds in the first three weeks of moving to the South, okay? Because Southerners fry everything, okay? And Southerners fry lettuce and spinach. Like, Southerners fry things that I'm just like, I don't know why you would need to fry that, but go ahead, fry it, and I'm gonna eat it, okay? The land of Chick-fil-A, Jesus chicken, okay? You ain't know nothing about that. You live in Albany, New York, okay? You don't know nothing about the glory. So, uh, uh, but one of the big differences is that in, in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, uh, I didn't grow up around guns. No guns in Boston, okay? No guns. Uh, no armory, you know what I'm saying? Well, at least it didn't have arms in the armory, okay? Just no, no one bore arms. No one had guns. If you had a gun in Boston when I was growing up, it meant one of two things. It meant that you were either in a gang or you were part of the police force, you know what I'm saying? You just, your average citizens didn't just r like walk around with guns. But then, whoo, I moved to the south where everybody and their grandmama-in-law got a gun, okay? Everybody got a truck and a gun, okay? Where I'm from in North Kakalaki. So I'm at my friend Anderson's house, okay? I'm hanging out with Anderson, and Anderson is what I call a country bumpkin, okay? He has his own golf cart, okay? That's what it means to be from the South. Like, you just got a golf cart, you barely wear shoes, you know what I'm saying? Like, he has a kayak in his trunk at all times. Like, he's just from the South, okay? And uh, Anderson wanted to show me all nine of his guns. My northern brain didn't know how to like process this moment. Like I'm confused, you know what I'm saying? He's showing me, a, he had a gun for his hip, he had a gun for his ankle, he had a gun for his wife's pocketbook, you know what I'm saying? He had a hunting rifle, okay? <laughs> the Texans are raising their hands, you know? He had all kinds of guns, okay? But remember, I'm not from North Kakalaki, I'm from the hood, okay? I'm from the ghetto of Boston, I'm from the inner city, okay? Inner city is a euphemism for where the black folks live, okay? I'm not from North Carolina, okay? I'm from a place where if someone shows you a gun, they want to rob you, okay? So my northern brain, I'm having, I'm, I'm having a glitch in the system, right? So he shows me, you know, small gun for his hip, an even smaller gun for his ankle. He shows me a gun for his wife's pocketbook. Then he shows me a hunting rifle because I learned rather quickly that in North Carolina, we eat Bambi, okay? That's what we do, okay? We eat Bambi, uh, and, then, and then he showed me a shotgun. Once we got to the shotgun, I was like, now, now, Anderson, this seems rather excessive, my man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you lost me at the gun in the wife's pocketbook, okay? A shotgun. Anderson, why do you need a shotgun. And Anderson, with a southern accent, looked at me 
and said, Manny, let me teach you why I have a shotgun. I said, Anderson, please educate my northern self on why you need a shotgun. He said, a shotgun is the best gun for home defense because if I ever heard somebody tinkering with my lock, if I ever heard someone on the outside of my house trying to break into my house, if I heard a thief trying to steal, kill, or destroy me or my family or any of my possessions, all I'd have to do, Manny, is grab my shotgun and go to the inside of the very same door that the intruder is trying to break in on my home. And all I'd have to do, Manny, is do this. And the person outside the house would become keenly aware. I've messed with the wrong house tonight. As Anderson was speaking to me physically, the Holy Ghost started speaking to me spiritually, letting me know that it is the sound that we release from the inside of the house that lets the devil know I've messed with the wrong church tonight. The reason that worship leaders and pastors try to get you to release a sound of praise is because we don't know what chased you in here, but we do know that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and that the righteous run in and find safety. Baby, this ain't Christian karaoke. Oh no, worship creates a force field of protection around your life. When you begin to open up your mouth and declare, God, I don't need a doctor. I need praise. I don't need more money. I need praise. I don't need what the world tells me. I need you are my shield and my reward. Your my protection. You're everything that I need. And we are trying to get you to praise because I'm telling you right now, the power of life and death over your life is not in my tongue. The power of life and death over your life is in your mouth. You can sit there and think that we're here to entertain you all you want and you can act quiet and you can be silent and you can say, no, no, we already worship though. And you can be all bougie about your Christianity, or you can say like David, I will get even more undignified than this, because I'm here to tell you that what we do in this room, boo-boo, hashtag Allen Iverson, is just practice, okay? What we do in here ain't even the game. The game is when you get an anxiety attack on Wednesday, and there's no worship team, and there's no fog, and there's no lights, and there's no instruments. The question is, are you going to be able to open up your mouth and speak to the spirit of anxiety and declare I serve the prince of peace and he is going to crown me with peace over my life. The real question is not whether or not you can worship in here. It's easy to worship in here. It's like a guitarist. The atmosphere is all right. The lights are right. Easy to worship in here. Very difficult to worship. When your coworker's been gossiping about you and you feel insecurity gnawing on the inside of you and you know that you need to go to your car and that you need to begin to release praise and change the atmosphere of where you are. I learned the secret of worship as a 12-year-old. My father brought me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. My dad has been an addict for most of my life, and I can remember giving my life to Jesus as a 12-year-old, getting baptized. And I would go home, and in the living room, and in my parents' room, I would hear my parents fighting. I could hear them yelling and screaming at each other, and I learned the secret of praise. I realized that from my bedroom, I could shift the atmosphere of the whole home, because greater is he that is in me than he that's within the world. The reason that we're trying to get you to open up your mouth and give God praise and to worship him and to learn how to be extravagant with how you talk to him is because if you learn the secret of worship, it will change every area of your life. My wife, she's awesome. I think there's a picture of my wife. Is there a picture of my wife? That's my hot chocolate mamacita right there. And to prove that I did not steal this picture off the internet, I think there's a picture of us together. There you go. That woman actually belongs to me. <laughs> My wife, she understands the secret of praise. She does. If you're a wife in the room, I hope you're going to take notes because I'm going to give you some gold right now. 
She understands the secret of praise. She understands that Adam was made in the image of God, that men don't like nagging, they like praise. Hello. The bride of Christ is supposed to be an example of what it means to be a good wife. Uh-oh, real quiet. The question then becomes, when you come to church, do you nag God? Or do you praise God? I remember my wife, she had an agreement with me. She said, look, bro, you're getting the good thing. Man who finds a wife finds a good thing. I'm good. I'm a good thing. I'm a cook. I'm a clean. I'm going to make sure that the environment of the home is amazing, okay? Eventually, I'm going to have some babies for you. You know what I'm saying? I, ooh, I'm going to bless your life, okay? You ain't seen nothing yet. I was like, okay, girl. She was like, but two things, okay? Two things. I never want to take out the trash, and I never want to pump my own gas. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm getting the better end of this deal. Take it. And, you know, being a new husband, I forgot to take out the trash. I forgot to take out the trash for the whole first month of being married. Then I, I, I kept forgetting into the second month of being married. Third month of being married, I just kept forgetting to take out the trash. One day my wife came home, and she, she looked at me. I was on the couch watching Netflix. And she said, babe, you look so good when you take out that trash. She said, babe, when you swing that trash bag across your back and I see them biceps flexing, boy, it does something to me. I'm letting you know right now. I'm just letting you know. I'm, thank you for taking out the trash. Thank you so much for walking that trash to that dumpster. Boy, you don't even know. When you walk the trash out, I'd be spying on you through the blinds, and I'd be looking at you like, mm-hmm, that is my man. I thought she was playing Jedi mind tricks on me, okay? I was like, now I know for a fact I did not take out no trash. I looked over at the trash. I saw the trash overflowing. Then I put two and two together, and I realized, oh, she knows how to be a good bride. See, all this time in church has prepared her on how to be a bride. See, she understands that men don't want to be nagged. Proverbs said it's better for a man to be on the corner of a roof than inside with a nagging woman. And I wonder if Jesus feels the same way about you because Jesus is like, you didn't told me about the cancer so many times. Why do you keep telling me about the problem? Why don't you start praising me in advance for the solution that I've already provided? Because on the cross, I said some magic words, boo. I said it is finished and when I said it is finished that means that in eternity past the thing that you need is already done as I looked over at the trash that was overflowing I realized mm, my wife has praised me in to doing what she wanted me to do and since then I have never forgot to take out the trash because men are puppies. You want something to be repeated? Reward it. <laughs> Give me a treat. You know what I'm saying? Every time I take out the trash, I come back in the house like, did you see that? She's like, good job. I'm like, okay. I am your puppy, okay? Praise. Here's a secret. Do you know how to talk to God? Do you know how to talk to him? You're not know, sweet talk God into doing what you want him to do? Or you just what? You just nag him? You just bother him? Is that your deal? You're just like, God, I mean, get, 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 get. I've been praying for this for six months. Or do you declare, whoa, 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 I speak things into existence. I take authority over my life. I take authority over my circumstances. I, 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 don't, I don't tell God about my mountains. I actually tell my mountains about my God. And I begin to declare what I want to see. Like God, I don't look out into the darkness and I don't say, wow, it's dark. Because if God had done that in Genesis chapter 1, it only would have gotten darker. But God did not look at the darkness and exclaim about how dark it was. No, he looked at darkness and he said, let there be light. What do you see when you look at a broken city? Do you say, let there be healing? Or do you say, man, I can't believe how broken it is. What do you declare out of your mouth? Because your world is a manifestation of your words. What are you saying about your children? What are you saying about the season of life that you're in? What are you declaring out of your mouth? 
We don't get you to say amen in church just because it makes a preacher feel good. No, we get you to say amen because you've got to get used to the sound of your own voice. If you're a parent in the room, this is funny because, you know, Gen Z, the enemy has tricked them into believing that authority comes from their thumbs. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I'm sorry, boo-boo, but you can't be better at using emojis than you are at using your emotions. You can't be better. You can't text the devil. No, at some point, you are going to have to get comfortable with the power that is in your own voice. And so often, we have a generation that is so used to texting everything that we have now muted them and muzzled them. And at some point, as a parent, you're going to have to say, no, you don't sleep in the room with your phone. No, we keep our phones in the kitchen. We get an alarm clock for your room. And why? Because we We're not going to mute you and muzzle you and make you think. This is the most awkward group of, like, young people I've ever seen in my life. No, just me? Okay. I'm here to tell you. Guess what? Uh, They're awkward. They're awkward. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Every year I was a youth pastor, they got awkwarder and awkwarder. And at one point as a youth pastor, I had to realize, oh, it's because of their phones. Take their phones away, guess what happens? They stop being awkward. I'm being, I'm being so serious, so serious, because their device is only exponentially making them more comfortable with silence. Your kid's not an introvert. They're just addicted to their phone. Uh-oh. Okay, okay, come on, let's preach. <laughs> let's go to Matthew chapter 14. <laughs> let's go. Uh, uh, anybody ready for the word? Awesome. Pastor Mike, you're amazing. Thanks for having me. I love you. We're going to make an agreement right now, okay? Y'all are going to promise to act black. There we go. And I'm going to promise to act white, and I'm going to do this whole sermon in like 20 minutes. It's going to be great. Because <laughs> the church I grew up at, there was no limit to like how long the preacher preached. You just preached. <laughs> and you preached. <laughs> and you preached, okay? So... Uh, There was like three choirs. It was awesome, okay? Uh, So uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to share a little bit about uh, me and my wife's journey of faith. For six years, uh, doctors said it was impossible for us to have children. Doctors said that we would never get pregnant naturally. Doctors told us to adopt. Uh, I got diagnosed uh, with male factor infertility, which meant I had no sperm, okay? Uh, And nine weeks ago, on July 22nd, 2021, we saw our first child born, uh, first biological child born into the world. I think there's a picture of my son. That is my little guy right there. Uh, And you're looking at a manifestation of faith. You're looking at me and my wife's decision to not give in to the doctor's report, but to believe that there's a great physician to believe that God is a healer, to believe that God laughs at our impossibilities. And so tonight I want to preach to your faith, okay? I want to preach to your faith because maybe you've been struggling with unbelief. Maybe you've been struggling with disappointment. Maybe you've been struggling with discouragement. And I don't want to preach to your mind. I don't want to preach to your heart. I want to take authority over the doubt and the spirit of unbelief that has tried to constrain you and restrict you. And I want to preach to your faith. And we're going to declare that your faith is going to come online, that your faith that has been on cruise control is going to get active again, that your faith that's been dormant is going to erupt tonight, not because of anything I say, but because faith is a spiritual gift. And we're going to put a demand on heaven, that heaven would begin to administer faith to you tonight. So uh, I'm super excited because my son, he's just learning how to smile, and he is so cute. And uh, I would not have this miracle if it had not been for the faith of me and my wife. And I don't want to talk to you about mountaintop faith. I want to talk about faith in the valley because it's easy to have faith when you hear amazing stories. It's easy to have faith when people are telling you all these encouraging things. But we, for six years, had to decide on a consistent basis. Because when people are dealing with infertility, you don't actually count it in years, you count it in months. Every month that you don't get pregnant, you're disappointed. Every month that you don't get pregnant, it's like a dagger to the heart. Every month that you're not pregnant, you're just kind of like, I can't believe that God didn't do it. You pray every single month, you believe every single month, and I gotta, I wanna share a real vulnerable faith testimony with you tonight. You ready? Come on, let's go to Matthew 
chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read it out of my Bible. I've got the NIV, okay? In Matthew chapter 14, we're going to actually start reading in verse 25. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Uh, anybody got a physical Bible in the room? Anybody got a physical Bible? Come on, wave your Bible at me. If you got a physical Bible, come on, wave it at me. Anybody got a digital Bible? If you got a digital Bible, come on, wave your tablet, your phone at me. All right, good, all right. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Um, if there's a word that I don't say, uh, remember you're black, and that means it's your turn to say the word that I don't say, okay? So we're going to do a little call and response. We're going to start reading in verse 25. It says, during the fourth watch of the... Oh, that was like 13 of you. Come on, let's do this again. During the fourth watch of the... Here we go. Say it with some authority. Uh, uh, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost! They said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Here we go. Peter speaks up. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to, to you on the water. He said, uh, we got to stop right there and just break this down. Okay, so let's think about it. Okay, here's the boat. Disciples are in the boat, okay? Jesus comes walking to them on the lake, and, and they are panicking. They think it's a ghost, okay? And Peter and the boys are like, oh, my, did you see that? Did you see that this is a ghost? It's like, oh, my God, what is going on? Hey, what? No, maybe it's Jesus. Maybe it is Jesus. I don't know. No, I really think it's a ghost. No, maybe it's Jesus. Okay. Hey, and Peter, Peter speaks up. Hey, Jesus, is that you? And you're like, yeah, that's me. Thomas out here think, think, think it's a ghost, you know. Just blame it on Thomas. It's real easy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thomas said it's, it's a ghost. And, and Jesus is like, I, it's not a ghost, it's me. Now, 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 let's think about this. Let's think about this. Let's put our thinking caps on, okay? Uh, there's a lot of things that Peter could have said to figure out if it's Jesus. Like, let's, come on, come on, come on. Like, come on. We've all got, like, Security questions on, like, websites that we have passwords for? No, none of us have passwords that... Come on, come on. Security questions. What city were you born in? What's your mama's maiden name? Come on, like, come on. Security questions. Like, there's a lot of things. High school... Yeah, exact. Come on, exact. You see, this is, this is black church. This is good. Peter could have said a lot of things. Hey, Jesus! If it's you, what did we eat for breakfast three days ago? Right? I mean, hey, Jesus, if it's you, which of my family members did you heal? Like, mom-in-law. You know, like, lots of things that Peter could have asked to prove the identity of Jesus. But Peter knows Jesus so well that he knows the one thing that will, beyond the shadow of any doubt, prove that it is actually Jesus. And Peter, to test whether or not it is really Jesus, says these words, if it's really you, I know you well enough to know that if it's you, you're going to tell me to come walking on the water too because Jesus is always going to get you out of your comfort zone. Jesus is always not going to hoard power for himself but distribute power to you. See, Jesus, if you really want to know whether or not it's your flesh or Jesus, whether or not it's your imagination or Jesus, whether it's a demon or Jesus, see, the litmus test is, does it cause you to do the miraculous? Does it put the responsibility on him or on you? See, 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 a lot of us, we're waiting on God, but God's waiting on you. Oh, see, no amens right there. See, everyone's like, oh, whoa, uh, no, I just, I just want to worship my genie. Uh-oh, I mean God. <laughs> See, what happens when God says, no, I need you to tithe first. No, I need you to give first. No, I, I need you to develop a prayer life first. Like, 
Actually, no, no, no. I, I, if you're going to walk on this water, it's not because I'm going to come hold your hand. I'm not going to give you a piggyback ride. No, no, no. I'm doing the miraculous, and I want you to do the miraculous. I'm doing something that's outside of the, of the impossibility of man. I want you to do that, which is outside of the realm of possibility for man. See, the litmus test of whether or not it's Jesus is whether or not it requires faith on your behalf. So many security questions Peter could have asked Jesus to prove whether or not Jesus is a ghost or whether or not he's Jesus. Can I tell you the number one way to know whether or not God is talking to you is when God says, believe for more. Trust me at a better level. Take more risks. Get out of the boat. Boat. I need you to exercise your faith muscles, I need you to do what is uncomfortable. I had a professor in college that said whenever you're at a fork in a road and you're trying to make decisions and you can't figure out which decision to make, always choose the one that requires more faith from you. Why? Because the road to God is the road paved in faith. It's not the road of safety. It's not the road of a guarantee. It's not the road of your logic. It's not the road of your rationale. It's not the road that your degree puts you on. It's the road of faith. God, I know this is you because it requires faith from me. It would be, it'd be great if we could just have kids naturally, but having children is going to require faith from us. And so I know it's you because you don't just want me to be blessed. You want me to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You don't just want me to get the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You actually want my faith muscles to be developed you care about my character, not just the destination. And Peter could have asked Jesus so many questions. But Peter knows, I know you well enough. I've been following you long enough to know that you are going to challenge me to do what I think is impossible. And you are going to put the responsibility of this, not on me, because it's not enough for Jesus for you to watch him do miracles. Jesus wants to partner with you to do the miraculous. Oh, come on. Now, 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 let's keep, let's go back. Here's the boat. Everybody say boat. boat. Jesus. Okay. The boat, Jesus. The boat, Jesus. You know, I love that this entire miracle, it starts with a conversation. Hey, I think that's Jesus. No, 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 it's a ghost. No, it's Jesus. No, it's a ghost. It's Jesus. Jesus! Yeah, it's me. I'll know it's you if you tell me to come. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, that is right. Great, that is, that's good. And Jesus says, come. And here's what I love. Here's what I love. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say, come on, Peter. No. He gives an open invitation. Come. Matthew could have got out of the boat. <laughs> Judas could have got out of the boat. <laughs> Thomas could have got out of the boat. Like, and, and, and you know what a lot of us want? Uh-oh, I'm about to step on some toes. See, you don't want a sermon. That's like an open invitation. Anybody can apply it. Anybody can hear it. Anybody can sit there and go, this is for me. I claim that by faith. No, you want a prophetic word. You want somebody. Uh-oh. See, no amens. You want someone to say, Alicia, I see, I see the spirit of God on your life. I, I, I call you by name and I prophesy this. The spirit of the living God sent me to your address. He gave me your address on a sticky note. He, he put the sticky note on my coffee table and I'm here at your house. Then thus saith the Lord... Not saying that's not possible. It's possible. It happens. There are times when Susan Richardson calls you while you're driving down the East Texas freeway and says, Your obedience today is going to lead to your reward tomorrow. That happens. And that's amazing. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But you know what happens more often than not? You read your Bible. 
and you read for yourself that delayed obedience is disobedience, and that as soon as God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, he did it. You know what's more common? That you hear an open invitation that doesn't have a name attached. It just says, come, and while you're in your seat, you declare, I don't know if this is for my neighbor, I don't know if this is for the person on the second row, but what I do know is that it's for me, and I'm getting out of this boat. I don't need somebody to call my name and give me a prophetic word. I don't need you to tickle all my insecurities, uh-oh, and validate me, uh-oh. Some, so many people. They don't come to church with their faith. They come with their feelings. And at some point, you're going to have to learn the faith of the Canaanite woman. Who God was like, you ain't even the right race, boo-boo. I, ain't even, I don't need to do nothing to you for you. And then said, it is not right for me to take children's bread and cats to the dogs. <laughs> Ignored her, offended her insulted her and the woman was like I don't care what you say I didn't come here for you to validate me I didn't come here for you to back rub my feelings uh-uh I didn't come here with my feelings I came here with my faith you can say whatever you want but I'm not letting you go until you bless me you can insult me Jesus yeah I'm a dog rough rough I really don't care what you call me because my daughter is demon possessed and I care more about breakthrough than I care about you acknowledging me and validating me. That's not why I'm here. I came here for one thing and one thing only. And even if the preacher doesn't pull me aside and give me a prophetic word, if all Jesus says is come, I'll put my own name at the end of it and I'll put for myself, come on. Peter, I will insert myself because I'm not waiting for an invitation. I will crash any wedding in the vicinity of me. I will, I will crash the party. Because Canaanites are never going to invite you into Canaan. Uh-oh, you missed it. Okay, great. Canaanites are not going to invite you into Canaan. You have to invade Canaan. There's a spirit of invasion, and then there's a spirit that wants to be validated, like, I'm just waiting for an invitation. Boo-boo, listen to me. If you're waiting for somebody to invite you, you are going to miss out on the rooms that you need to be in that are going to dictate your destiny. At some point, you're going to have to say, uh, well, invitation or not, I'm going to insert myself into the scenario. So Peter, with his presumptuous self, Jesus says, come. And Peter's like, I'm just going to go ahead and assume since I initiated this conversation and I'm the one talking to you, that you are talking to me. At some point, you're going to have to realize that you've been talking to God before this service started. So if the preacher says something, then you're going to have to just go ahead and assume that the Lord is talking back to you because you've been talking to him. Peter is like, he said, come. Y'all with me? Nah, Peter. You got that, bruh. <laughs> you go ahead and do it first. Let's see how it turn out. And Peter gets out of the boat and starts to walk on water. This is crazy. It's water. H2O, agua, water. The only thing cooler than walking on water is walking on air. Have you ever tried walking on water? I have. Very difficult. I would say impossible. I remember being downtown Boston at like the Christian Science Headquarters, the Mary Baker Eddy little reflection pool. It's a massive pool. And I remember just going, I was 14 years old, and I was like, I'm going to walk on the water. Next thing you know, the security guard was pulling me out of the pool because I was trespassing and didn't know it. So Peter's walking on the water. I need us to get this. I need us to catch this, okay? Peter walks on the water. What does Jesus say? Okay, let's, let's, let's keep reading. Um, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. What does Jesus say? You are. Wait, 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 wait. No way. No way. No way. Wait, no, 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 no. I refuse to believe this. This is, this is crazy. It's heresy. This is ridiculous. Peter walks on water. And Jesus' response to him walking on water is you have little faith. If I'd been Peter, that's fighting words. I'd have been like, are you crazy? I just walked on water. Little faith. You see what I just did? I just walked on water. I got out of a boat that was perfectly fine. I got out of a boat that was not sinking. And then I walked on water. I mean, with your help. But, you know, I walked on water. And P Peter walks on water, sinks. And Jesus says that this is little faith. Oh, brother, sister, I, I hope this is a paradigm shift for all of us. I remember asking the Holy Spirit, how is this little faith? And I remember the Holy Spirit, like, genuinely teaching me. Well, it's because you measure things by human standards. And in your finite nature, you think that walking on water is impressive. But can I tell you, son, that walking on water impresses other humans. But walking on water doesn't impress me. Because in the same way that compared to God's holiness, everything is sinful. It doesn't matter if it's a little white lie or massacre of, of, of an entire nation. It's all sin to God because he is holy. See, when we compare humans to other humans, we say that one sin is greater or less than others. But compared to the righteous and holy standard of God, all sin is sin. In the same way for the God that is all-powerful, healing a paper cut takes the same amount of energy as it does to heal cancer. So for God, there is nothing that is greater or lesser of a miracle. See, for God, walking on water is not that impressive. For you, it's impressive. Therefore, Jesus says, this is little faith. Why? Because God doesn't judge faith based on how impressive the act was. He judges faith based on how long you can sustain faith. And great faith is the kind of faith that can have faith for five years, faith for 10 years, faith for 20 years, faith that never wavers, the kind of faith that has longevity, the kind of faith after six years of infertility, you still believe God can do it. God's going to do it. I've already named my children and picked out bedrooms and bought a home and bought a crib like I've just got faith for the long haul. Anyone can have momentary bleeps on the radar. Okay, you had faith for a couple of minutes. You had faith for a couple of months. Okay, you had faith for a couple of, Can you have faith till Jesus comes back? See, see, see. And I want to teach us here because the Greek word for faith is pistis. Everybody say pistis. Come on, Bible nerds, say pistis. In English, this is a disconnect, but in Greek, there are two ways to translate the word pistis. The first is faith, so belief. The second is faithful. You know, we have disconnected being full of faith from being faithful. Being faithful means I've got fidelity. Being faithful means I have allegiance to King Jesus. And for whatever reason, in our Modern context of faith, we have taught people that they can be full of faith, which means they're full of belief, but not faithful, which means they can withstand a relationship with God for the long haul. See, anybody can have faith. Atheists have faith. They have faith. It takes a lot of faith to believe in a big bang theory. That's a lot of faith. That's, that's, that's a faith, okay? Buddhists have faith. Like, come on. The Bible says that even the demons believe God and shudder. So, 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 no, no, no. Don't tell me about your faith. How about you show me your faithfulness? How long can you have faith? 
Can you say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will not bow down, Nebuchadnezzar. God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down to your golden statue. Why? Because not only do we have faith that God can deliver us and God will deliver us, but we are faithful even if he doesn't. Jesus looks at Peter and goes, whoa, you have little faith. He says, little faith, because we measure faith based on how impressive it is. God says, nah, cancer, paper cuts, same level. It takes no energy from me because I'm the God that is eternal and infinite, and I don't lose power or gain power. I could blink in your direction and your whole life be transformed. It takes nothing for me to heal. You're impressed by things. And the band can come up and play because everything sounds more spiritual when there's keys behind you. And Peter, we're on the boat, thinking of Jesus. He gets the courage to walk on the water. And then he sinks. Family, can I tell you something? So many young adults, they come up to me and they say things like this. Season, they say, uh, if I start tithing, Pastor Manny, can you guarantee that God will give me a job? And I say, whoa, 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 whoa. The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is certainty. So you're looking for a guarantee? So you're looking for a formula, not a relationship with God. You, you want me to give you some magic equation? Can I tell you something? You may exercise faith, do all the right things, and still sink. You still cannot guarantee that you are not going to sink. The only guarantee I can give you is that you're not going to drown because Jesus is right there, and he's willing and ready to pull you back up onto the water. I can't guarantee that you won't sink. You may get wet. You may be embarrassed. You may lose faith, or you may sink, but you won't drown. Now I need to ask this question. This whole sermon was built for this one question. Peter starts out where? The boat. He walks all the way to Jesus. We know that he gets to Jesus because he sinks. He's now soaking wet. Jesus pulls him out of the water. And here's what I think God sent me all the way to North, from North Carolina to ask you tonight. How'd they get back to the boat? How did Peter get back to the boat? Because the passage tells us that they got back into the boat. And I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus did not give Peter a piggyback ride back to the boat. Jesus did not carry Peter back to the boat. And I've heard a lot of sermons on Peter's walk to Jesus, but I have not heard many sermons on Peter's walk back to the boat. And I want to tell you tonight that after the failure, that after the sinking, that God's not done with you yet. And what you think is the end is only halfway to your miracle that God wants you to do it again that Peter didn't walk on the water one time but he walked on the water two times because there's a difference between walking to Jesus and walking with Jesus and Jesus wants to walk with you back to the boat so what you failed do it again so what? You sank. Do it again. Oh, I feel like there's an anointing in the room tonight for a couple of people to not just have faith, but have faith again. Oh, come on. To have faith again. Come on. I, I don't know who this is for, but like right now you're here. You've sunk. The disciples are pointing at you, laughing at you. Your uncle who told you that tithing was stupid is now pointing at you like, see, you got unemployed, you got laid off. I told you not to quit your job. Being an entrepreneur was crazy. Nobody in our family has ever started a business. That's crazy. And now you're bankrupt, and now you failed, and now you're soaking wet. You could have stayed right here in the safety of this boat, and you've sank. 
And Jesus is looking at you saying, you ready to try it again? And you're saying, no, Jesus, no, no way, no way. Just, just, just carry me back. Just, just carry me back. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Because, see, you did it the first time because you were walking to me. See, see, see. Jeez, look, Jesus. Look what I can do. Aren't you proud of me? Come on, validate me. Like, come on. Jesus goes, no, no, we're going to do this again. Not for the claps of the people in the boat. Not for the applause of heaven. Nope. We're going to do this. And you're going to faithfully walk with me step by step. Not faster than me. Not slower than me. You're going to walk with me. And you have learned how to believe in me. But now you're going to learn how to trust me. Because see, Genesis chapter 15 Abraham has faith and is credited to him as righteousness. He has faith. In Genesis chapter 15, he's got faith. I wonder if any Bible nerds know what happens in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, he sleeps with Hagar. He has faith, but doesn't yet have trust. You can have a lot of faith, but not yet trust God's timing, God's pace. God's word, God's will. Peter did a lot just with belief. But belief is only the first layer of faith. You, you taking notes? Here we go. Seven layers of faith. Number one, faith is belief. Number two, faith is trust. Number three, faith is obedience. Number four, faith is risk. Number five, faith is preparation. Number six, faith is vision. And number seven, faith is allegiance to King Jesus. So often when we talk about faith in church, we stick right at level one, belief. No, 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 at some level, you've got to get to trust. You've got to get to obedience. You've got to get to risk. You've got to get to vision. You've got to get to preparation. And you've got to get to faithfulness. That no matter what happens, Jesus, I'm with you. It's funny. Me and my wife, I know exactly what it feels like to sink right here. Me and my wife, we spent $15,000 that we did not have to do IVF for a 30% chance that we would get pregnant. We miraculously got pregnant. We went to our first ultrasound. We're in the room. They're doing the ultrasound on my wife. And the nurse tells me there's no heartbeat. The baby's dead. I have spent $15,000 of hard-earned money and more than the money, I've spent my emotional energy. And when I tell you this was the worst day of my life, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm telling you from my experience, just because you walk by faith doesn't mean that you won't sink. And I remember we had a miscarriage in March of 2020. April went by. I'm mad at God, just angry. May, June, July, August. Oh, I'm bitter. I'm upset. And I'm still in this place. Sunken. Defeated. Disappointed. We had to mourn the death of an unborn baby. And I had the attitude that said, if this was what was going to happen, why did God even let us get pregnant in the first place? And my wife, who's way more saved than me, said this but we've never made it this far. But we've never made it this far. At least now we know we can get pregnant. At least now we know it works. Let's do IVF again. And I said, do you remember the $15,000 we spent a couple months ago? Do you remember how it felt? to go through a miscarriage and all that pain. Are you kidding? Let's just stay right here. We're cool. We're at least standing on the water. <laughs> this is fine. God is sustaining our life. We're good. And that little boy's face that I showed you wouldn't have that boy if we hadn't decided to do it again. Oh, somehow... 
people we don't know started sending us money. A man from Portland, Oregon sent us $1,500. Somebody that we barely know sent us $4,000. Friends from Boston sent us $1,000. When she raised the offering, I was trying to sense, is there faith in the room? Because at the end of the day, your problem is not money. Your problem is faith. Baby, if you've got the faith, there are people with the money who will sow in to your life. Your issue ain't money. Your problem is faith. In the moment... Me and my wife decided we're going to do this thing again. We began to walk on water a second time. And I'm telling you from what I know that it's not enough for you to walk on water one time. But there's a grace to do it again, to attempt again, to try again. Oh, come on. I need you to have faith again. The enemy's been telling you, this is the end. You know what? You're only halfway there. This ain't the end. It ain't over. You booked a one-way ticket. But God booked a round trip for you. It ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. And your latter will be greater than your former. And your best days are not behind you. They're ahead of you. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but come on. Better is yet to come in your life. We declare an anointing on your life to go the full way with God. To get back to the boat. To dig down deep into your reserves of faith. And to get to where God wants you to go. If you're in the room tonight, you've had faith, and you've sunk. I'm preaching to you. I want you to do two things. I want you to pull out your phone. They'll have a devotional plan for you that is free. You don't even have to pay for it. All you got to do is pull out your phone and text the word shield because you need a shield of faith. You need a shield of faith. Come on. I said you need a shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. You need a shield of faith. Text the word SHIELD to 97000 or scan that QR code on the screen. Text the word SHIELD. The Holy Spirit convicted me, Pastor Mike, about a year ago. said, you can't just fly into town, preach a great message, get people excited, and then not give them tools so they can disciple themselves in the Word of God. So I started writing a devotional plan for every sermon I preach. And the Holy Spirit won't let me preach sermons without writing a devotional plan. So you can download a devotional plan free of charge. I wrote it for you. All you got to do is text the word SHIELD to 97000. Did anybody already do it? Did you get a response? Did you get a text back? It's magic. I texted you back while I was on stage. Look at that. Can anyone commit to say, you know what? Tomorrow's the first day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. I'll start tomorrow. Can anybody commit? I'm going to start this devotional plan tomorrow. Come on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not just hearing sermons, but digging into the word of God, digging into the Bible. Second thing. If you're right here, you have sank. And I want you to make your way to this altar because I want to pray for you. You think you're at the end. You think you're at the end. You think that your failure or your mistake defines you. This is why we have to preach grace and faith together. Because we're saved by grace through faith. For some of us, you're refusing to get back to the boat. Not because you don't trust Jesus, but because you don't forgive yourself. You don't forgive yourself for losing faith in the first place. You don't forgive yourself for being full of fear. If that's you and you need prayer tonight, can you get close so I can lay my hands on you? Can you get close? Come on, we declare right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would minister faith to everyone at this altar. God, as we lay our human hands on these individuals, God, I ask that you would lay your divine hand on them and impart faith. God, we declare right now forgiveness over every uh, 
seed of disappointment that's been planted. Every time that you blame yourself for why it hasn't worked out. Every time you look back at moments and go, I can't believe I lost faith. God, I ask right now for a double portion of faith. God, we thank you right now for belief, for trust, for obedience, for risk, for vision, for preparation, and for faithfulness. God, I thank you for this man of God. We declare over his life right now that he is going to make it the full course with Jesus. God, we thank you right now that this is not the end. We declare right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you have circumcised ears to hear the voice of God. We declare right now that the voice of the enemy be silenced over your life. Whatever the enemy has spoken, we declare that the devil is a liar. We declare that from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet, supernatural faith. We declare that this church is going to take Albany, New York by faith. God, we declare for an aggressive spirit. God, Jesus said to the disciples to take courage, not to wait for courage, not to accept courage, but to take courage. So God, at this altar right now, we're not just waiting to receive, but God, with hands lifted. We're declaring, we're taking courage. We're taking faith. God, we declare that right now. Come on, let's lift up a shot of praise all over the room. Oh, come on, let's seal it with worship. 